Hey there, everybody out there in podcast land. This is Johnny Ganache along with Sir John. And you may or may not know us, and if you don't know us, that's a problem because we are the hosts of a great show called Pint O' Comics. What is Pint O' Comics all about, John? Pint O' Comics is a uh, pop culture podcast of everything and beyond. Everything and beyond. Pino Comics. We're not just about them damn funny books. That's our. That we're, we're, we're throwing that out there as a new slogan. Anyways, you could find us on Libsyn or you can go to our website, which is www.pintocomics.com and listen in. We put out new episodes every single week. Welcome to Rock Candy. Hi, everyone. A weekly podcast that brings you sweet treats of random access memories from around the world of music. Yeah. I did it. Yeah, with beats. With beats. All the beats. Sweet beats. (laughs) All sweet beats. And we're your two hosts, bringing it to you harder, better, faster, stronger. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And I fucking did it. You you fucking did it. Fucking did it. We're talking about Daft Punk today. Yes, we are. Very exciting. Get ready. For me, anyway. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's a little bit exciting for me. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Surprise me, because I don't know anything about Daft Punk, and I'm just not into them, really. I mean, that's fair. So They're not necessarily for everyone. They're not exactly my jam. I mean... I don't know. I think everybody's got like a couple Daft Punk songs. Like, well, yeah. I hate to admit it, but I really enjoy the song. Well, I mean, they had that one album that came out when we were in high school, and I really liked it. And then I never listened to them ever again. <laughs> well, that's Discovery, and that was a very and I will get into it, but that was a very different album than anything else they've done. Yeah, I would say Random Access Memories is probably the closest, maybe in production value, anyway. Mm-hmm. But their other two are are much different beasts. So. Electronica music is crazy. Weird. And I love it. I'm here for it. I'm excited. I mean, as far as this podcast goes, I suppose I would consider myself the resident Electronica expert. Yes. That is all you. I mean, house specifically is like my jam. I love house music. House specifically. Specifically. I couldn't tell if you were saying house House specifically specifically or how specifically. A little bit of of both. But mostly house specifically okay. house music sure that yeah that's all you that is all me and i'm so I'm, I'm fine with that i mean that's not at all saying that i actually know that much because i don't because d- electronica music is really complicated and has a lot of like arguments and people on like one side and saying this is this and that is that and oh, i don't so so you can equate house or electronic with metal very easily oh. Oh, very easily. Dude, EDM <laughs> is 100% just like metal in the sense that like the fans are like, there's like 20 different genres mm-hmm. and everybody always miscategorizes a, a, a DJ. And but like, how no, dare you do that? How dare you? How dare you? How do you not know the difference between Avicii and Frankie Knuckles and blah, blah, blah. I mean, actually that they are starkly different, but <laughs> but still, <laughs> it, 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 yeah. I, out of all of us, I think I'm the most qualified to bullshit an episode about techno music. Yeah, I can't do that. I fucking love techno. I totally got really into it in college, and I never left. I was like, all right, I'm here for it. I'm not leaving. This is great. It's good for me. You have the personality for that. 
I oh, do not. You know, the best part is that, like, I've I've smoked pot, obviously, and I've drank beers, obviously, but that's really it. I've never done Molly. I've never done cocaine. I've never done any kind of, like, club drugs. I've never tripped acid or anything mm-hmm. like that. That's not even how you say it. You don't say I didn't trip acid. I never I tripped the acid. <laughs> I meant to say I've never went tripping on acid. <laughs> But no, it's go. trip the acid. I never now. tripped the acid before. I mean, I haven't. I've never done any of those drugs. I still absolutely just love house music, and I've been to house shows sober and had a great time. I'm not one of those people who's like, I'm gonna go to like the sweet EDM festival and drop a bunch of fucking ecstasy and go crazy, man. I don't think you need to. <laughs> I would think that like a a more subdued concert is the kind of place where you would want to you know drop acid and all that and all that shit do you mean me specifically or anyone anyone okay because that shit's already bonkers yeah do you do you, re- do you really i did i don't to? i 100 percent don't. don't i can have a great time just all of all of that sounds horrible oh, to me you would that is my fucking nightmare <laughs> is being at an edm show on acid oh and just I would die. I would literally die. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think I'd enjoy the overstimulation of the drugs and Mm-mm. the music and the lights. I just enjoy the music and the lights as is, which harboring back to our conversation over the weekend, yeah, I probably don't need those drugs. Yeah, no. I'm okay. Perfect I'm perfectly okay. I've never done any of them. I don't need to. And I am not ashamed to say that I have never even smoked pot. I don't really care to. You know, it's not everybody's bag. I drink a lot. That's fine. That is just fine with me. Everybody's got their vice, and yours is beer. And monster energy drinks. And monster energy drinks. Don't judge me. I mean, I'm not. They just don't do anything for me. They don't do anything for me anymore, either. Yeah. I've had too many. (laughs) Oof. I haven't had too many. They just... There's none of taurine. Any more taurine. Which is arguably probably the worst part about energy drinks. But it's it's so good for me, in that it wakes me up. (laughs) Yeah. Just get... Taurine shots. Taurine? Taurine. I don't know. It sounds better to say fucking taurine. It reminds me of shredders. <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty much. Shredders. Just shredded lettuce and mayonnaise Gross. in your mouth. Gross. Fucking hilarious. <laughs> One of the best SNL bumps <laughs> ever. That sounds also like disgusting. That sounds like the worst thing that anyone could ever offer me, and I it's, will never take it. It's basically a salad from Subway. Well, that is basically what it sounds like. First from mistake, Subway going to Subway. Mistake number one, Subway. Yup. But anyway, now that I've uh, gushed over my love for EDM music, because I am that guy, apparently, which I'm okay with. I'm okay with that. Own uh, it. I'm, I'm, I'm alright with that. Uh, well, allow me to set a very thin background for you concerning the early days of house music. This genre of dance music began in Chicago in the early 1980s, and easy to point out with its 4-4 rhythm produced by drum machines and synthesized bass lines, a lot of times characterized with a soulful woman singing about freedom or love or just living free of judgment. You're free to do what you want to do. Yeah. Pretty much. That's like every every house song is like, we're free in this house of house. (laughs) In my house, you're free. (laughs) House is just a style of music that is really inclusive of everyone, and I will get to reasons why much later in the episode. So for over a decade, House was an underground movement. People knew about it, but there wasn't much of a chance you'd hear it get any radio play. But in the early 90s, 
the pop dance scene began to dabble mainly with the help of European DJs who fell in love with the sound of house. And I think it helped bring about the popularity of techno overall that we saw in the late 90s, early 2000s. Like when just like trance really took over the radio and Darud and others, DJ Sammy, shit like that. You're talking gibberish to me right now. I have no idea who <laughs> you you're talking know, about. You would know the songs because they played them on the radio, like Sandstorm. I don't. I what? can't. There's no vocals. I can't sing it. It's a techno. I can't sing techno. I don't know. Yeah, uh, you'll have to show it to yeah, me. Yeah, I will. I will show you afterwards. So now I'm like, oh, does anyone know what I'm talking about? Clearly, I did my research before entering this episode. <laughs> Look, I listened. You listened to that one album. Yeah, a long time ago, Shh, and then never they don't, again. They don't have to know I, that. I know the Around the World song. <laughs> That's not even that album. Okay, well, I know the Around the World song. Good enough. <laughs> We'll take it. And the do it, make it, work it, stronger. Harder, better, faster, stronger. Yeah, there we go. That one. Do it, make it, (laughs) happen, stronger. And there were robots. Drink it. Were there robots? No, there were people dressed as robots in... I really like seeing you reach. You're like trying so hard. So hard. All right, no, I'll I'll, I'll set it all straight for you. Okay. Set it all straight for you. In this story of electronic music, Daft Punk's role cannot be overstated. They took the sound from underground clubs straight to your workout playlist. However, their original goals were much different than their end result. Our two main players in this game have their roots based in Paris, France. Guy-Manuel de Home Cristo and Thomas Bangalter met in 1987 while attending the same high school. I practiced their names all fucking weekend seriously this is this episode to you is like my episodes on the black metal when i was practicing all of the fucking norwegian yeah. names yeah because i'm like oh this is french uh little quick back baggy story i have a good friend josepha she's french grew up in france obviously mm-hmm. met her she was aghast when she found out that i didn't know that daft punk was french well, I don't think anybody really did until like the except age the, of Google. Except for the French people. The French people were like, hey, this well, that's are our great bitches. because they got them first. You they know. First, you knew. Nobody but, knew they were French. So I, I am trying. I know that she listens sometimes. So I would hopefully I'm doing her justice. And any of our other French listeners, because I think yeah. we have a few. So oh. bonjour. Yeah. They both shared a love for music and films from the 1960s and 1970s specifically. And from there, a close friendship began. Guy-Manuel was born in 1974 and is of Portuguese descent. His great-great-grandfather was a Portuguese military figure and politician named Francisco Manuel Roman Cristo. Guy-Manuel's family always encouraged him to perform music, from giving him a toy guitar at age 7 to getting him his first electric guitar at age 14. Mm. Yeah, and they were like, yo, get on this. He's like, all right. Tomas was almost bred to become a musician. Born in 1975, he is the son of Daniel Vanguard, a French songwriter and producer who worked on a number of French records in the 1970s. As early as age six, Tomas's parents put him in piano lessons and were very strict about him practicing daily. So I'm sure his dad was like, you're going to follow my in my footsteps. And he's like, I guess I am. Which is kind of interesting because usually when parents are that strict about making their kids be something, they're like, no. I'm just going to go work at this grocery store. Yeah, I don't want to do this shit. But when you're six, you don't have much of a choice, I guess. Yeah. And I'll say this up front. These two are notorious for being private about their personal lives. 
So overall, there really isn't much to get into as far as that aspect goes. So don't expect any crazy stories about drugs or affairs. Hon- Sorry. No. But honestly, when you said you were going to do Daft Punk, I was kind of like, how? Because as far as I knew, like, nobody really even knew what they looked like. Oh. Let alone. Oh. Most of their background. Nobody knows what they currently look like, but I'll show you a picture right now of what they used to look, what they look like okay. when they're little teenage boys. Look at them. They're like little fucking... Oh my god, what are those pants? <laughs> Please, if you have a moment and you're on the internet, Google just Guy Manuel and Tomas Def Punk. You'll see pictures of them when they were little teenagers, early 20s, and they're just little babes. What year is this? This is probably like 92? Early 90s? Yeah. Yeah. It's like when they first came out. What are those pants? They're French. And those shoes? They're baguettes. I don't know. <laughs> They all wear baguettes on oui, their oui. feet. Oui, oui. How oui, do you oui. like my feet baguettes? <laughs> my feet baguettes. That's what they call shoes in France, right? Feet baguettes. Feet baguettes. And any French listeners we had, we've just lost I'm them. I'm so sorry. We're sorry. Guys, we're sorry. We're not. Your baguettes are delicious. No, they, they don't are. Belong the, but like legit. Feet. Legit. The baguettes are fucking to die oh for. Oh my God. They They're were little, little babies. babies. Yeah, right? They were just. That oh. one had nice hair, too. Oh, no. Guy, Guy Manuel had great hair unfortunately he does shave it later on in life i'm like girl you got great hair what are you doing what are you doing what are you doing and in fact interesting little tidbit here is that tomas had's been known to be anti-drug just for himself due to the fact that he would rather not lose control of his faculties while performing or creating he basically says i don't want to do ecstasy while i'm at a club or something because then i'm going to lose my my ability to critique everything's just going to sound good and i'm i'm going to actually sound terrible well that's kind of like part of the reason why I don't really want to do it because I maybe this sounds stupid to other people but I feel like if I drink then I have a better control over how drunk I get but if I smoke pot or do any other kind of drugs I can't really control that because I've never done it right you don't know what's gonna happen right and I don't I, really no, ever sense. care to find out I can control how much I drink. I can control how drunk I get. And I know how to get myself to not be drunk anymore. So here's the thing. If you need a release and you know what's going to get you the best release and how to do it, why would you change up what works? Right. Also, beer's delicious. Pot smells disgusting. I actually really like the smell of pot. Oh, it's disgusting. It just reminds me of college. It smells like burnt skunks. Well, that's just really bad pot. It's skunks on fire. Skunks on fire. (laughs) New band name. Call oh it God, it. Oh, my God. Yes. In 1992, Guy Manuel and Tomas decided to start a band with their friend Laurent Bronkowitz and called it... What? Laurent Bronkowitz. Okay. And called it Darlin. Darlin. After a Beach Boys song of the same name. They seem to be going for a bit of a surf rock kind of sound mixed with some grungy alternative. Look, I'm going to be honest. It's not great. They were kids. It was, it was the grunge era. And they're French. Yeah, it's it, like, mm. like grunge through a French vector. Maybe? Yeah, I for most of this episode, I should have said at the beginning, my research came from the documentary Daft Punk Unchained, and they do show in the beginning of the documentary them Darlin playing, and I'm like, ooh, oh, ooh, not great. <laughs> you guys all really made much better choices after you disbanded. Well, you you grow up. You get better musical tastes? Usually? Usually. Dad rock. Chicken fist. During this time, they only created a few songs, one of them being an actual Beach Boys cover. 
Overall, Darlin was short-lived, but still managed to get noticed by the music magazine Melody Maker. But, oh, wow. But it wasn't for a good reason. <laughs> Here they were negatively reviewed by Dave Jennings, who called their music, quote, a daft punky thrash. So keep that oh. in your back pocket. Soon after they disbanded, everyone just went their separate ways. Guy Manuel and Tomas went to pursue a totally different path, experimenting with drum machines and synthesizers, whereas Laurent went on to help create the indie rock band Phoenix. Oh. They're French. I, yeah, I knew they were I French. I didn't know they were French. Yeah. If you ever in English. <laughs> yeah, but if you ever listen to their lyrics, they kind of don't make sense I just thought all. it was indie rock. <laughs> indie rock doesn't make indie sense. Indie rock doesn't make sense. But at the same time, for a very long time, I always confused Phoenix with Vampire Weekend because they sound mm. almost exactly alike. They don't sound alike to me. I like Phoenix better. We know Phoenix is better. Yeah. Where the duo lamented on how long it took them to come up with the name Darlin for their previous band, they immediately knew what to name this new project. They took it right from their first negative review and named themselves Daft Punk. That's kind of cute. It is cute. And at age 18, Guy and Tomas went to a rave for the first time and had an experience that they had never had before. They heard this high energy music and watched this crowd dance unabashedly to it. And they were so inspired by this underground movement, they knew they wanted to be a part of it. They went to work on equipment set up right in Tomas's room and created their first demo. They managed to meet Stuart Macmillan of the DJ duo Slam from Scotland, apparently. I don't really know Slam. I'm not even going to act like I do. But they met him <laughs> at a rave in Euro Disney. What? Wait, where you... is Euro Disney? Is that in France? France? Yes. Huh. Can you imagine... Going to a rave in fucking Disney World? That'd be great. No, that would be your worst nightmare. Kill that would be me. Your worst nightmare? Now. My biggest dream. To go to Fuck a rave that. in fucking Euro Disney. No. Yup. No. Here for it. No. <laughs> we, we would have Shoot such, me in the we would fucking have such face. opposite reactions. Like, I'd be like, yay! You'd just be like, arms folded, actually, like... actually flames on the side of your face. Yes. I would I'm... actually be there. I'm like, wow, you did it. I would spontaneously combust just to be like, there are literal flames on the side of my face. You're like, I'm not doing this. Not doing this. I'm going home. That's fair. But he was so impressed by these two quiet boys that he helped them create their debut single, The New Wave. The final mix of this song would eventually become the song Alive, which would be featured on their first album. And yes, I called them boys because mind you, at this point... They still weren't even in their 20s. They had already caught the attention of many at the clubs with their ear for what would sound best and talent for mixing. Tomas actually developed a technique where he would take the wire out of the mixer for the turntables and use that buzzing sound that it produces to create a bass line for the song tracks. That's pretty cool. Yeah, like he and everybody's like, I've never fucking heard this before. What? This is crazy. And this ingenuity impressed so many DJs and producers around them at the time. They immediately stood out, which was great for them. In 1995, they produced the single Da Funk, which became their first commercial success. While the song itself was catchy enough to grab your attention, many claim that it was the music video that truly helped them gain notoriety. Directed by Spike Jones, the video features an anthropomorphic dog named Charles who walks around New York City playing Da Funk on a boombox. Many have tried to figure out the meaning behind this video, but Tomas says there's no real message. However, they would like to make a sequel to it someday. That's cute. But like, girl, it's been like over 20 years. If you're not doing yeah. it, you ain't, you ain't shit and get off the pot. 
But also, why does every music video have to have like a fucking theme or story or whatever behind it? Yeah, it's actually like can it just be a dog walking down the street? Yeah, it's just it's just a man in a dog suit with a broken leg walking around New York City with a boombox. <laughs> and it's kind of it's, it's fun. It's just a fun time. Yeah. I mean, I like the song to funk, so it's made more for me though. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it was with this success that they found themselves a manager in Pedro Winter, who helped them find a record label. Unlike most new artists, they had their pick of companies. Many were vying for a contract. Ultimately, they went with Virgin Records, and it actually turned out to be more of a partnership. Tomas and Guy Manuel had an advantage with the former having a record producer for a father. They knew the business already and had a business model planned in their minds while pursuing contracts. Daft Punk wanted to have complete creative control of their work so they could make what they wanted at their own pace. Instead of a deal where they would promise a certain number of records, they actually owned their own music, but Virgin would have the rights to it for 10 years. Hmm. I don't that's, know. I don't know what backdoor deal went down for that. Yeah, that's kind of an unprecedented thing. It's for it's got to be his. Da- it's got to be his dad's influence. It had to be one hundred percent. It had to be his dad's influence because yeah. you don't get that. No matter how talented you are, nobody has ever gotten that good yeah, of a deal, especially with a big record company like Virgin. Yeah, Virgin's gonna be like, yeah, we'll find another There's, act. It's fine. That was one of the biggest record companies in the nineties. Like, I don't even think Janet Jackson got a deal like that with Virgin Records. Jane Jackson's like, I've been here for 15 years. Like, yeah, that's cute, sweetie. We still want eight albums. And she's like, God damn it. Where's the next album, bitch? Get in the studio. Guys, I have really bad depression and bulimia and things. Get in the studio. Get another coffee enema and get in there. I never got with coffee enemas. (laughs) Woof. And actually, just just a random thing that I just thought of. Also, when watching the documentary, Guy Manuel gets abbreviated to just Giman, but when you read Giman. it in the subtitles, it just is Guy Man. So <laughs> when you're American, his name's just Guy Man. Guy Man. Guy Man. Also, another thing to know: if you ever do want to watch the documentary, good fucking luck. I had to go on a rabbit hole of a search to find one with English subtitles because half of it is in French. Oh, that was very difficult. Yeah, but Guy Man. And French is one of those one of the languages I did not take. Again, you you've heard my limit of French. Four (laughs) phrases that will only do me good if I'm drunk. Like where are my pants and I'm hungry. (laughs) You don't you you can't even ask how to get to the bathroom. No, it's just you know, j'ai faim. What's that? I'm hungry. Oh, (laughs) okay. Oui, mon pantalon. Where are my pants? (laughs) There you go. That's all I need to know. I know sacre bleu. Sacre bleu. Sacre bleu. Nobody says that. Yeah, no, I didn't think so. (laughs) And I know like c'est bon. I was like, that's good. Uh, saboteur. <laughs> do people just run around France screaming saboteur? I mean, like, I don't think they I don't do. know. That would Ooh, be great. Ooh, la piscine? Where is the pool? <laughs> Daft Punk new signing with Virgin was a big deal. With a company of this size backing them, they would be able to reach true heights in the pop world. But what concerned them was losing their privacy in the process. So it was around this time that they had the idea to hide their faces from the public. Which is a good gimmick. It is a oh oh it, this like, works in their favor tenfold. And it doesn't even come off as a gimmick. No, it, it doesn't. comes off as like oh yeah, that's just Daft Punk. Because I think it turned into a gimmick. They genuinely didn't want 
people to recognize them. There's mm-hmm. a story I got from the documentary one time when they were first meeting with Virgin in New York City. They had gotten them a limo and they didn't want to take the limo. So they just went on the subway and they were like sitting in the limo like, where the fuck are the boys? And then like the boys like, yeah, we're already here. We took the subway. And they're like, fuckers. <laughs> but they're like, we don't like it's sweet. They don't want that kind of attention or life. Yeah. They're like, we don't we want to be able to have our lives outside of what we do in the studio. Right. Which, good for you. Yeah. Kudos. Another good point to throw in here is that techno is really a faces genre. You don't really know or care what the DJ looks like. Most people aren't really watching to see what they're going to do next. And usually they dance with their backs to the booth. So hiding their faces was a good way to keep that custom going, even in the mainstream. At first, they would wear whatever they could get their hands on, from cheap masks for costumes to black cloth bags. As long as their faces were hidden, they didn't care. But they finally settled on the robot helmets in the beginning of the new millennium. They hired makeup and special effects designer Tony Gardner to help create this new look to fit their heads specifically. Because they were, again, really motivated and inspired by, you know, sci-fi of the 60s and 70s. So it it does have that... Their helmets do have that retro look to them. Yeah. Initially, their helmets were much larger with more lights, which at that time was kind of rare to see so much going on light-wise and electronic-wise. And this caused them to have... A ridiculous amount of cables sticking out of the back of their heads and feeding into a backpack they had to wear. They have since condensed their look to be much sleeker and simpler and no longer have to wear so much bulk. That's kind of nice, especially if you have to be standing up and, you know, performing. Yeah, it had to be heavy. a couple hours, at least. That's a lot to wear. There's a lot of cables. Again, like, this is the late 90s, early 2000s. We didn't have our shit condensed the way we do now. Everything yeah. wasn't Bluetooth ready. We couldn't and do everything on wireless. the Wi-Fi. Yeah. You couldn't just have your, your cool robot helmet couldn't just connect to the Wi-Fi's. Yeah. And actually, the original design had them wearing wigs with the helmets. That was quickly. That's a lot. That was quickly scrapped. Yeah. No, that's a lot. I think they wore them once and they're like, we're good with just the I'm helmets. I'm dying <laughs> up here. <laughs> Considering am I? a wig, a helmet. Outfits, lights, wires. and performing, and wires. Yeah. Yeah, I would be dying, too. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need any more of this shit. In 2001, they finally debuted the robot helmets. They came up with an entire story for the event. They claimed that on September 9th, 1999, at 9.09 a.m., their sampler exploded while they were working, knocking them unconscious. And when they woke up, they were robots. Okay. I mean, if that's what you want to tell people, sure. And people, I mean, think about it back then. People were so obsessed with like Y2K and the new millennium and how everything's going to change and blah, blah, blah. So they were kind of just trying to jump on that. And the robots are going to take over the world. Yeah. They were kind of jumping on that. Yeah. Again, works in their favor. Now, when they're asked about the robot masks, they do stand by their original reasoning of the desire for anonymity. But they have expanded on it to say that they've actually really grown to enjoy the theatrics of it all. It's as if they were some kind of regular guys who turn into superheroes when they put on their costumes. And also they claim that the robots are much more interesting for their fans to look at than two basic French dudes. Yeah, and I can imagine that it it gives a a higher level of performance, maybe. Because, you know, techno music might be really fun and you can dance to it, but there's not a whole lot you can do as the DJ up in that booth arguably you should be focusing on like what you're mixing next and what's going on if you're if you're a dj beyond i'm a press a button yeah (laughs) 
don't come to me and say you're a DJ and then I find out like you just have this sweet playlist and you right. press play. That's not a real DJ. You're up there, you're concentrating, you have a bunch of shit to do, but it's not like you're a drummer in a live band who's right. constantly moving around and being flashy and whatever or a lead singer or something right. like that. You don't have a whole lot of opportunities to be flashy. Yeah. So if you can wear a flashy outfit while you're, you know, doing whatever you got to do back there, why not? Yeah. And I will get into it later, but they really revolutionize a DJ booth. <laughs> well, I will leave it at that. <laughs> In 1997, Daft Punk saw the release of their very first album, Homework. In addition to the aforementioned singles, the album also featured the song Around the World. Oh, I didn't realize it came that song came out so early. Right. It was wow. it was right after Defunk. And it was actually seen as the most popular single as it reached number 1 in all the dance charts. And it had that really popular music video with the people just dancing around the stage, but it was like super well choreographed, yeah. all like one shot kind of shit. Yep, I remember that one. That, that, was that was what I was thinking of in the beginning of this. There you go. Yeah. I brought you there. I know that one. You got there. <laughs> but they weren't satisfied with the success of Homework. They wanted more. Immediately following their debut release, they went right back into the studio and spent three years to create what many see as their most polished and well-known album to date, or at least... I fucking do. This fucking album gives me life. Discovery was a tribute to the music of their childhood. Many of the samples are taken from songs from the 70s and 80s to give it that real retro feel, yet they still keep it accessible enough for pop audiences. They wanted this album to convey that playful, open-minded attitude towards listening to music the same way children would listen to music without real judgment. It's probably best known for the single One More Time. Yep. Yep which features auto-tuned vocals from American DJ Romanthony. It did well all around the world, even charting in Billboard mainstream top 40, which this is the first time they're not just on, like, dance charts. They're on actual radio play, Mm -hmm. like, legitimately. Overall, Discovery is still held in high regards as one of the best EDM albums of all time, and it's still my favorite Daft Punk album. It's so good. The whole thing is really good. I did listen to that a lot. In high school. Yeah. I mean, most people know it for the first four albums, or I'm sorry, for the first four singles, mm-hmm. but it gets so much better after that. Like, it's still good, but then it's like, gets even better. And I'm like, this is one of those albums that just keeps getting better. And I'm really excited about it. Notably, to go along with their sophomore release is the film Interstellar 5555, the story of the secret star system, a silent anime house musical. Also, when I said the story of the secret star system. Imagine all of the S's are fives because it's four fives. Apparently they say like in some, I think in Japanese it directly translates into like Interstellar four five because it's four fives. Uh, all right. It's kind of goes along with the plot. It's a thin plot, but I mean, it's also a silent <laughs> anime music house musical. Like you don't want a deep plot. Silent anime house musical. I only like one of those things. Guess which silence? One? Is it the silence? <laughs> okay, I like two of those things. <laughs> I like 50% of those words. <laughs> the rest can fuck off. Like, whereas fuck for, off out of my house. Whereas for happens. me, I'm like, ooh, this is for me. <laughs> I love this. And I do. I fucking love Interstellar. You might even like it. Like, it's if you like the album Discovery, it's fine. I just, I don't understand the silent anime part, even though those are the two words I like. Well, it's like. just that there's no talking. But it's all, it's all just the, so it's, 
it's the tracks of Discovery played yeah, yeah. and like no, just I get like it. it's they animated a story over yeah. it, but there's just no talking. I get it. Oh, but like but I don't know how else to help the, you. I just I can't wrap my head around a silent anime. It just seems weird. I don't know. I mean it's not like I don't know. It's good though. I don't know. That would be way down on my Netflix list. I don't even think it's on Netflix. Shit is expensive to find. Like the yeah. Blu-ray is like thirty-five dollars. I'm like, yo, slow your roll. I'm poor. I can't I'm afford poor, guys. that. I really can't. I'm like, how am I gonna afford a, an ink cartridge? <laughs> I'm trying to like collect ink some cartridges schme- are thirty-five dollars. Fucking right. I'm like collecting schmeckles in my fucking couch. See if I can buy a goddamn ink cartridge. Hey, we found a quarter the other day. So I think I put it in my wallet and oh. have since spent it. <laughs> Well, and again, it's a very thin plot. You know, the entire album is played over this sci-fi fantasy story about an alien band that is kidnapped by a military force and brought to Earth to become the newest group for an evil record producer. But then, like, there's even more to that. Like, it's he's like an ancient guy who's like a record producer and he's creating artists so that he can have them have gold records and he uses the gold records to power a spaceship of sorts. This it's- is like the story of Lou Pearlman making sync. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! Maybe that's what Daft Punk was inspired by. They're like Lou Pearlman. I mean, the guy kind of looks like Lou Pearlman. Oh, that's with a little bit more hair. Oh, Lou Pearlman is disgusting. Right? He's so gross. Right? Oh my god! Yeah. What a gross fucking dude. But it's kind of cool because you get like very light themes of just like how record companies are the fucking devil. Also, like, how, you know, becoming a star can steal your soul, blah, 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 if you really read into it. I guess that all that all checks out with Daft Punk. Right. You know. And then also, too, it is just, I mean, if you like anime, it's pretty to look at, and you really like the music, so it's, I, I just, I like yeah. it. I like it. Again, it's for me. It's for you. So Guy Manuel and Tomas are both fans of Leiji Matsumoto, best known for creating the classic anime Space Pirate Captain Harlock back in the 70s. And seeing as how Discovery was a full-on love letter to their childhood, it made sense to approach Matsumoto to help them create this film. After they explained the plot and played him the album, he agreed to work with them. Daft Punk funded the project themselves, and it ended up well, costing they them... Could. Well, yeah, and it ended up costing them $4 million. Yikes. Yeah. For an anime? Yeah. That's crazy. Well, this was also, like... Yeah. Still hand-drawn. Right. And, like, Leiji Matsumoto was a fucking legend in the anime world. And while well, he oversaw it, then you have, like, other artists and shit. So. Most of the $4 million was just his salary. It might have been. He earned it. <laughs> the first four videos, like I had mentioned before, it's One More Time, Aerodynamic, uh, Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger, and Digital Love. And they were released in 2001 and shown on Cartoon Network during Toonami's Midnight Run. I remember that. Oh. Wait, do I? Do you? <laughs> no. Um, I only ever watched Adult Swim, not Toonami. I watched both because I was a <laughs> fucking nerd. I'm like, I get home from school, watch Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball Z, Gundam Wing, and all my other shows. God, That's I'm a back fucking when nerd. Adult Swim was fucking amazing. Oh my god. The Brack Show was on. Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Sea Lab 2021. Aqua Team Hunger Force. It was so good. God, it was so good. It wasn't like all these live action things. It wasn't things. just Family Guy. Yeah, it's like Family Guy and live action shows now. Yep. So come 2004, it was time for Daft Punk to work on a new album, and they did so within six weeks. 
The final result was 2005's Human After All. They went back to a simpler sound and a little bit more rock involved than the previous albums. But they really kind of went back true to form on that. And overall, the reactions were kind of mixed. While many recognized singles like Robot Rock or Technologic, nothing had the same mainstream radio play like with previous songs, which was a problem for the label who had no idea how to promote this album. <laughs> They're like, we don't have a single. How do we promote your album? And yeah, and that's kind of the downside to Daft Punk having complete creative control because then Virgin can't go back to them and be like, no, you need to rework this because we can't find a single. But you know, it didn't concern Guy, Guy Manuel or Tomas because... Well, they made enough fucking money off their last album. Right. Well, and also they, they still regard this as their favorite of their three Virgin studio releases. Mm-hmm. Overall, they just, they wanted a stark contrast to Discovery. Something to convey a feel, a feeling of like fear and paranoia. It isn't supposed to make the listener feel good. Hmm. All right. They love the improvisational feel for it, and they just they cared more about the creative process. Mm-hmm. So I mean, good for them. So Human After All does end up charting, but many critics felt it lacked the fun of their earlier work and wondered if maybe they're losing their touch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been like ten years. That's like kind of on par for most. I feel like most musicians. I don't. I, I don't know much about the techno industry, but <laughs> I feel like DJs have a certain fifteen minutes, and then they kind of fade out, and then the next one comes up. That's the impression can we, that can we I get, get rid of the chain smokers then? Because I'm fucking over the chain smokers. Who I don't even know who that is. Who are the chain smokers? Oh, you're so lucky. Dick pick. What <laughs> are you offering? <laughs> Seriously? I they had a no single idea. called Dick Pick. I have no idea no, what you're No, selfie. T- no, it's not Dick Pick. It's selfie. <laughs> but why can't it be Dick Pick? <laughs> no, I think I know. I'm thinking of Willem has whole pick. <laughs> and like, she did it to let me take a selfie. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, Dick Pick, selfie. I don't know. I Can I, can I stop with the fucking chain smokers though? Because I'm over it. God, you're lucky. They're fucking they're terrible. I don't, Come for me. I don't listen to popular radio, I guess. I'm really determined to not fall out of what what the kids are listening to. Although I am determined to get as far as away from it as I possibly fucking can. I can just hear the odd couple theme song running over our podcast right now. <laughs> Is that the odd couple? I don't remember. I don't I can't. However, similar to their previous album, they made another film called Electroma. Initially, they were making the music video to Human After All, but they became inspired to turn it into a full-length silent feature, again with just the no talking. Shut your mouth. All right, that's fine. The basic story is about two robots, obviously fashioned after Daft Punk, living in a world of robots, and they wanted to be human. It is pretty art housey, and that's not for me. Ah, uh, yep. That 100% I'm, isn't mm-hmm. for me. And what's really strange about it is that they don't use their own music in it at all. They actually use, like, a bunch of other artists. They don't use So did they own. just write the, the storyline? Define write the storyline for me. Because I... It's, 
It's fine. It's if you're they into were involved house, somehow. Yeah, though they well, so Guy Manuel and Tomas didn't star in it, but they did direct it and film it themselves. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival in 2006 and overall was positively reviewed. Well, that's nice. I mean, it worked for them. The interesting thing about the film, and note, I will have spoilers here just in case you ever want to watch it. So I don't know, skip ahead like 30 seconds. At the end, they self-destruct, and a lot of people thought that Daft Punk was trying to tell everyone something, that maybe they were done with the masks and they were ready to show their faces. But what actually happened was that they decided to simplify their outfits to look less cumbersome, and they got rid of all the wires, and they didn't have the backpack anymore, and they went to this very sleek Mm -hmm. um, black leather jacket, black pants, the simple helmet, less lights, less flash, less show. That's all it was. They kind of made their outfits look like they belong in like like an Audi commercial. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like they should be on motorcycles in an Audi commercial. Yes. European Audi commercial. They, they end up becoming quite European looking. Oh, yes. They definitely. Like quintessentially European. They go from looking like clunky fucking Americans to slim, sleek Europeans. I think that's when everybody realized that... They were French? Oh, they're not American. (laughs) Oh, they're European. I can tell by the helmets. I can tell just by the fact that they ditched that whole big clunky look, didn't they? Huh. All right. Good for you. Got it. Though their last album didn't do well, Daft Punk was still just as popular as ever in the mid-2000s. They weren't really known for touring. I mean, sure, they played shows here and there, but mostly they were working on productions. And some were thirsty to get Daft Punk to play on their roster and enter Coachella. Fuck Coachella. (laughs) I was like, Ashley's going to roll her eyes so hard when I say Coachella. (laughs) And for those of you who don't know what Coachella is, it's... This you massive don't need to know. it's just this massive music festival, um, mostly pop music. There's a lot of EDM, but it's 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 kind of like it's basically just an excuse for a lot of celebrities to dress like fucking idiots mm. and walk around going to fancy parties and schmoozing, but acting like they're not going to fancy parties and schmoozing. It's a lot of glamping. Oh, it's yeah. a lot of rich people glamping. Yeah. And like acting like they're at what's the fucking the Met uh fashion show or oh, whatever. Oh, the Met Gala? Yeah. It's like it's like they think they're at the Met Gala, but bitch you in the middle of a desert. It's it's the Met Gala for hippies. Yeah. But and not like, even. But it's like people that never dress like that ever all of a sudden start dressing like that. Like, like that is hippies. not I like festivals. I've been to some and they are fun. That is not a festival for me. It's a fashion show and in a, in a, an excuse to schmooze. Yeah. Anyway, so that's Coachella, just in case you didn't know. That is like my my second tier of nightmare. I I would <laughs> an I agree EDM with you. show at Euro Disney is is top tier <laughs> nightmare fuel, and Coachella is a solid second tier nightmare fuel because like. I never, ever, ever want to be in a Coachella situation, but if I was, I would be able to get through it by making fun of everybody Mm. mercilessly Mm -hmm. to their faces because they can't do anything about it because they know they're being photographed. Yep. (laughs) Oh, God, no, it's a bunch of fucking trust fund babies on ecstasy. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, so Coachella had asked Daft Punk to perform in previous years, but every time they said no. 
For Coachella 2006, they offered the duo $300,000 to perform, and this time they said yes. Normally, most bands get somewhere around 10% for the advance before the festival, but these guys kept asking for more, and this was so that they could build their set. And they told no one aside from the tech guys what was going on. Everyone was becoming a little concerned about the risk that they were embarking on having Daft Punk perform at Coachella. What are you guys doing? What's going on? We don't know. Well, it fucking paid off. In spades. Daft Punk set for Coachella 2006 set the bar so much higher for all EDMX going forward. They had a massive pyramid built that they stood upon while mashing up their own songs together. There were thousands of LED lights, which uh, this is 2006, so you don't have all these lights like this. Yeah. They have lasers. They have a screen with graphics. They have graphics on the pyramid. It's fucking bananas for the time. I mean, now this is what we would normally see at every show. This but is Daft- what we expect to see yeah. now. <laughs> this is what Daft, but this is the standard that Daft Punk set. That's why we see this shit from now right. on. Because they were like, come for us. We got you, boo. And it is still known as one of the most high-energy live shows to date. And following that, they did go on a tour. It was a live 2007, and they continued to use the same setup. And they released their performance in France for a live 2007, the live album, obviously. And many praised this as the ultimate Daft Punk mixtape. And they were impressed with the way that they utilized the less popular Human After All songs and kind of gave them this new life. It, it, have you listened to Alive 2007? Uh, no. Okay. I mean, I don't know. You heard Discography, so I didn't know. Or Discovery. God, why do I keep calling it Discography? <laughs> you heard Discovery, so I didn't know if maybe, but... No, that was the one and only Daft Punk album I ever listened to. It's not for you, but the same. It's so good. It's so good. It's really good. Um, I will take your word for it and not listen to it. Okay. <laughs> Take my word for it. But I if you it. do like electronica music and you haven't heard Alive 2007, choices. Like seriously, this is one of the best albums ever and it's like every song's a fucking jam and you just want to dance. Again, I really should never take crazy drugs. Yeah, don't. I don't think I need to. Because no. I'm like just thinking about Alive 2007. I'm like, I want to fucking dance. <laughs> and I don't even dance well. And I'm still like, yeah, let's fucking go. Seriously. Get on it. God damn it. <laughs> and it actually, it, it won out, it won awards and it charted really high. It just overall, this, this album is held in very high regard. In 2008, they actually debuted for the first time at the Grammys when they performed Stronger with Kanye West. This makes sense as Kanye samples Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger for this single. I was going to say, doesn't Kanye have something to do with them at some point? They, they actually did help him produce, or they worked with him on one or two of his songs. And then he samples Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger for Stronger. But this was like right before he went completely bonkers. Yeah, this was when Kanye was still respectable. Slightly. I don't well, mind early Kanye. He's fine. Early Kanye is fine. It wasn't until like he uh, married Kim. And then just like, I mean. Just completely went off the deep end. I just kind of feel bad for him. I'm like, you're just, you really need, you need an adult who's going to just <laughs> fucking take you away and say, all right, you need a therapist. You need a medication plan. Like, I don't know who hurt you. 
He, we're gonna figure it out. He needs to get a grip, friend. He needs to get a like, grip, friend. A real good. Because the Kardashians are not get a grip, friends. Oh no, they are. The, they, they are, are nurture the, that bullshit, friend. They are the. I'm a hands off person, and you can do whatever the fuck you want. Oh, you want money? Take it. No, they're definitely that friend that will nurture your bullshit. They will yeah. tell you what you want to hear because they are made of bullshit. They are just walking piles of shit. <laughs> That is all that they are. Sacks of manure. Their butts are just made of shit. Yeah. That's what they sound like when they walk around. (laughs) I mean, I imagine that's what a a bag of manure would sound like if it could walk. Well, and so after the Grammy performance, they pretty much kind of put a kibosh on any live performances because they wanted to get to work on their next album. It was also around this time that Pedro Winter stepped down as their manager to focus on his own label, Ed Banger Records, and work on his production work as Busy P. Ed Banger. Produc- Ed Banger. Ed Banger. Ed That's Banger. That's really funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Def Punk <laughs> went to work with an unspecified uh, management group based in L.A. And they did a good job keeping them in the public mind. In 2009, they were a main feature in the video game DJ Hero, creating 11 tracks for it and appearing as playable characters. But nerds everywhere rejoiced when they discovered they were doing the soundtrack for the 2010 film Tron Legacy, a sequel to the 1980s Disney film Tron. I did see that in the theater. I have never seen Tron. I've never seen Tron Legacy. However, I have listened to the soundtrack a butt ton of times. This is a banger of a soundtrack. I don't remember it very well. It's real good. I like it. Again, that's for me. The soundtrack features an 85-piece orchestra, but also incorporates electronic elements. And it's basically Daft Punk on Epic Roids and debuted at number 10 on the Billboard 200. This is like WWE version of Daft Punk. Yes. You said they were on roids, so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I see what you're saying. Uh, Because they're all roided out. It's just like fucking a bunch of Brock Lesnar's. But carrying, like, Daft Punk playing on yeah. boomboxes. It's, it's Daft CM Punk. Oh, I wish. Except CM Punk never did steroids. No, he's just beautiful. He was a wonderful, wonderful <sighs> wrestler and R.I.P. CM Punk. I mean, he's not dead. No, but the wrestler, CM Punk. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. He's gone forever. <laughs> so Guy Manuel and Tomas have only worked on their own craft up to this point and have never had to answer to anyone else. For Tron... They had to work for one of the largest corporations in the fucking world. And it amazingly worked to their benefit. They learned a lot from real musicians and became inspired to start working these elements into more of their own music. So as we crept into the 2010s, Daft Punk began to work on their fourth studio album. And this time, they wanted to use collaboration for more of an influence. They brought on the likes of Paul Williams of Three Dog Night fame. She... (laughs) Random, random, left field was chic frontman Nile Rogers, the quote father of disco Giorgio Morador, among many others. Like I said before, they were heavily inspired by their work on Tron and wanted to bring in actual instruments and orchestrations. Session musicians were recruited to help with this process, and the use of electronic mu- instruments was limited. In 2013, Guy Manuel revealed that they had left Virgin Records and were going to be working with Sony Music Entertainment through Columbia Records. And as far as I could tell, there's no real bad blood with Virgin or anything. It just was one of those cases of, where we're just moving on. Well, it was well after their 10-year limit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they could do whatever they wanted. Pretty much. Yeah. 
like they were they interviewed a bunch of bunch of virgin people for the documentary and no one had anything bad to say so i'm gonna assume that everything's still good there it's just you know better offer okay i'm leaving time's up time's up bitch and also um wasn't virgin not doing so well at that point yeah probably because i don't does virgin even exist as a record company i believe it does but i don't know they have airplanes and spaceships now they're fine they have. They don't need Daft Punk. They have a mobile network. They've right? become robots. They are the robots. They are the robots now. So soon after that, in May 2013, Random Access Memories was released and has become their most successful album to date. The single "Get Lucky," which features vocals from Pharrell Williams, peaked in the U.S. at number two, but couldn't seem to beat out the unfortunately reigning champ, Blurred Lines. Oh fuck that fucking song. Yep. Get Lucky couldn't fucking beat out Blurred Lines. I, Choices, I love, America. I love that Blurred Lines still got that popular, and then everyone was like, oh, oh, oh. He's talking oh. about, like, some gray areas with woman's consent. Yeah. Oops. Oops. We just made, I'm not we gonna just lie. inadvertently made Alan think a shit ton of money. I'm not going to lie. I didn't realize it until like maybe like the 10th time I heard it. And I really listened to the lyrics and I was like, because you know what? Oh, it fucking sucks because the song a has a really song. good beat and it's a catchy hook. And and that's why you listen to the Weird Al version, uh, Word Crimes. Word Crimes that's is why, so good. That's why you listen to Word Crimes because you so still much- get the beat. And it's hilarious. And arguably a fuck ton more clever. Yes. Than oh, Blurred Lines. Not even arguably. Objectively. Just listen to Weird <laughs> Al because he's smart. He is. <laughs> listen to Weird Al. He's smart. He knows grammar real well. He does, though. But he does. But also listen to Word Crimes because it's really funny. It is and really it's, good. And all of these people need to learn how to fucking write correctly. Seriously. But whatever. <sighs> So Random Access Memories, though, did win Album of the Year. So what the fuck ever, Robin well, Thicke. You may have been number one, but Random at Access Memories. the Grammys? Memories, yeah, at the Grammys. Oh. They fucking won Album of the Year, which is, you know, good for them. Random Access Memories, it's a fine album. I actually hated it when it first came out. Because I wanted Discovery. I wanted Alive 2007. I wanted that feel. And Random Access Memories is very different. It's more funk. It's kind of this more old school vibe. It's mm-hmm. not a bad... I've I've since revisited it, and I do like it more. Mm-hmm. But for me, a lot of the songs, it's more of... A, I've got a handful that I like, and I either... Like, for me, it's either they hit it, or they totally miss it. Whereas Discovery, I'm like, yep, every single song, I fucking love it. Yeah. Or, like, I'm at least fine enough with it where I don't have to skip it. There are definitely tracks in Random Access Memories that I need to skip. So, in some ways, I'm kind of like, really, this is what everybody's going to know Daft Punk for? Okay. It's fine. It's fine. It's a fine album. But I, I do have to, I can't help but wonder if, like, you know, having Pharrell Williams on it helped him a lot, you know? Yeah. And just having a lot of that collaboration. Which, I mean, again, like, good for you. You fucking knew what was going to sell, and you don't even give a shit about that part. It sounds good. It's fine. Anyway, you know, and similar to Discovery, though, Guy and Tomas did try to go for their past influences and, and themes to kind of create this album. They wanted a West Coast vibe. And they were influenced by bands like Fleetwood Mac and the Eagles. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So I was like, and I could see, now that I say that, I'm like, yeah, I could see like that kind of carefree West Coast vibes throughout the album. Like, just chilling 
not really giving a fuck. Maybe I'm going to a sweet party mm-hmm. in the hills. Is that in California? I think that's you know, in California. Snort some coke to get high. Hell drink yeah. drink some bourbon to calm yourself, calm the jitters down. But then up, do more coke. Right. I mean, to you're, get you're to up all time. night. You're up all night to get lucky. Or, or as you're also snorting a lot of coke. You're also snorting a lot of coke. <laughs> but also, the version that Mora taught me was, we're up all night to pet puppies. Yeah. We're up all night to pet puppies. <laughs> we're up all night. Can you imagine snorting a bunch of coke and petting puppies all night? That sounds like the best night ever. <laughs> Again, though, I probably don't need coke. Yeah. I, I don't I think just I need Just give it. me the puppies, then that's fine. Either way, I'm up all night to pet puppies. Yeah. All day, every day. <laughs> you know, overall, Daft Punk felt like with the way technology was changing... Overall, it's easier to create and store recorded material, but the quality really isn't at the height that it used to be at because it's so easy. Anyone can do it. Well, they wanted to challenge themselves and do something that not everyone was capable of, and they wanted to hold themselves to a higher standard. So that's how they ended up making this album, and they just wanted to really test their boundaries, have more instruments, but still have their electronica sound. And that's where a lot of these elements kind of come into play, which... All right. I mean, way to be creative. Yeah. And not just be a basic bitch looking at you chain smokers. Come for me. Are they like the same as uh, Pentatonics? Oh, oh no. Pentatonics is an acapella group. Are they really? That's the one with the Jonas Brothers, right? Or one of the Jonas Brothers, right? I don't. What is he in? What's a Jonas Brother? Doesn't don't they sing that song "Cake by the Sea"? Which is supposed to be a metaphor for sex, which nobody wants to have sex by the sea because you're going to have a sandy vagina and or butthole. Also, don't eat cake on the beach. I would rather eat cake on the sea, cake by the sea, than have sex by the sea. Don't do any of those things. I'll eat a sandy cake. I don't want a sandy vagina. No. Or a salty vagina. Either way, none of this matters. We don't know what new music is. (laughs) I don't get the pentatonics. Pentatonics? Pentatonics? I don't know. Somebody correct us. Because I know we're wrong about all of this. I know there's a Jonas brother in one of them. There's a Jonas brother hiding around here somewhere. We'll find him. We'll find him. <laughs> we're going to beat him up. I'm sorry. We won't beat him up. We'll Take ask his him, money. <laughs> we'll ask him kindly to leave. But like buy us a pizza first. And some tacos. Taco pizza. Please, sir. We're poor podcasters. Will you buy us a pizza? Also, Get the fuck out of my house. Also, buy me an ink cartridge. <laughs> There you go. $35. Figured it out. <laughs> well, at this point in Daft Punk's career, they've done a lot of work with The Weeknd. Do you know who The Weeknd is? I know who The Weeknd okay. is. He had terrible hair. I'm really glad. And you know what? He I shaved have, it off. I Thank have God. noticeably like him more now that he doesn't yeah. have that hair. He also briefly dated Selena Gomez. Oh, that's... Okay. I know their dating lives. I don't know their music. <laughs> all right. Well, they were featured on the song Starboy in 2016 and the other song I Feel It Coming in 2017. Many hoped for another Alive tour in 2017, but nothing came of it. And at this point, they have no plans on touring, but shit, who really knows with these guys? They could do it last minute and you just never know. I mean, they did with Coachella, so who fucking knows? All right. I'll figure it out. Daft Punk has done a lot for the electronic, dance, house, techno genre. They got it into the mainstream. And they also, you know, were reinventing themselves so as not to be pigeonholed into a a genre. And they bring something new and interesting to listen to and to look at and to think about. But it would be wrong of me to not have a small discussion on the problematic nature of Daft Punk. 
Oh. Because you don't know house she's, music. She says inquisitively. Come here, my my rock my rock listeners, because I know maybe you don't know the story of like cultural appropriation. A white musician's best friend. <laughs> okay. Let's address this elephant in the room, shall we? We mm. shall. House music is firmly cemented in not only the African-American culture, but also LGBTQ plus culture. Mm -hmm. In its early days, it was played in underground warehouses where marginalized groups could go and get away from the prejudice of their everyday lives. Again, like I said earlier, house music is for everyone and it is for everyone. But it was this total escape for African-Americans and gay men and women who just like couldn't be themselves or couldn't feel comfortable being themselves but when you went to your fucking warehouse playing your sweet house jams you it no one gives a fuck because everybody there was weird everyone was weird again this is why house music speaks to me (laughs) i may not be a person of color or in the lgbtq spectrum however i'm weird and i get it this is this is what it's founded in most of the original djs were not white they were black Mm mm-hmm Black and gay, some of them even. So that's where house originated from. Okay, that's great. But again, it's an underground movement throughout the 70s and 80s, mostly really gaining popular in the 80s. And then, you know, white European men start to hear this music and they like it and they appreciate it, which is great. Guy Manuel and Tomas were two well-off white boys from Paris. One of their dads was already successful in the music industry. And these guys... Kind of had it easy as far as getting into the business. Yep. They weren't starving artists. They had the luxury of being picky and choosing a record label. Who who fucking gets that? Not even white people get that. So what? Okay. If someone refused their terms, that was fine because they could just move on. And they had their dad telling them how to negotiate. They had a luxury on a couple levels here on their wealth on their color, on their connections. Yeah, they did. So I, and you it, can't it, not ad- admit to that, that they have something that a lot of the people who are just like, this is my life, though. Yeah. Like, I mean, and it's that's not even exclusive to techno. It's Right, right. It's oh, anywhere, oh, any yeah, genre yeah. of music. If you were a white male whose parents were already in the music industry, then you kind of had it a hell of a lot easier than everybody else. Yeah, I mean, from Elvis to Miley Cyrus, we still have white people taking people of color's culture and appropriating that for their music, which that's not me running out here and saying, like, they don't get it, blah, blah, blah. You can, you appreciate it. I mean, I fucking love house music. I appreciate it. But it's a hard topic and you can't ignore it. You have to address it. Yeah. It's hard to look at everything Daft Punk has done to popularize the genre. And meanwhile, we have totally overlooked the OGs. And on top of that, there are a lot of samples on Discovery. Most are credited. But as the years have passed and the internet being what it is, there have been a few tracks that people have discovered that are not accounted for in their liner notes. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, sampling is a whole other beast that we aren't going to go into here. You know, some view it as theft and some view it as creative liberties. But the point many have made is that Daft Punk became a household name using the samples of black artists that came before them and never got paid for or celebrated for their work. I can totally see that. It's it's problematic. It's not, I mean, you can't, 
I'm not going to yell at Daft Punk, Guy Manuel and Tomas. I'm not going to yell at them. I don't think that they had a vindictive reasoning to it. I don't think that they were, I don't think that they looked at that as a money-making genre. Because again, they came from money. True. But at the same time, you can, you can be kind of mad at them for not looking at it that way. Right. Because they didn't have to. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Affluenza. Yeah. You know, your parents don't teach you. You're special. You have privileges that other people don't. And so you don't realize. Yeah. but I I will put the discovery stuff up to them just being young and stupid. I mean, how much stupid shit did you do in your early 20s? And I think they've since tried to make up for it. They've worked with a lot of people of color. I'm not saying that this forgives anything that's going on. I'm just saying, like, I think that they try to do their best now to attribute and credit everyone who inspires them. So I think that they're trying to kind of do what they can in their sense. Mm -hmm. So, again, I don't think they're coming from a shitty, vindictive place. And I mean, overall, Daft Punk seems like humble guys who genuinely love the work that they do. And they have put in effort in places where a lot of DJs and producers don't. They're not lazy. They don't just have like a fucking drum machine and fucking just make a looping beat and just do 20 looping beats on each other. Yeah. They really try to evolve with every album and everything they do. And the fact that they refuse to let people see them so that they can still have normal lives, to me, is a real telltale sign that they really do want people to focus on the music. Because mm-hmm. they could take their helmets off at any time and they will never rest again. They will be in the tab because they're, they're French, European tabloids. We've already talked about it. Crazy pants. Yeah. You know who should have done that? Moby. <laughs> I mean, is Moby still making music? Yes. He just put out an album in 2018. Why is he still doing this? Why are you torturing us, Moby? He's worse than Daft Punk with the appropriation. Well, despite the moral dilemma of appropriation, they do work hard and they have greatly evolved from their days of sampling and doing the club scene. I mean, they are just developing their own sound and their own music now, which... I mean, good for them. They don't continue to rely on sampling. And again, the sampling debate is for another day. (laughs) But going back to listen through their full discography, you can tell these kids definitely grew into worldly adults who want to have a chance to try everything. And I can respect them for that. And I think they have at least pointed people into the direction of the OGs now. Mm -hmm. We know about them now. I mean, we might have known about them before, but some kid... In the burbs wouldn't have found out about a lot of the 80s sweet house music that exists mm-hmm. if Daft Punk didn't get popular. Because it would have just stayed underground, probably. But I think, now that we've all acknowledged this, can we try harder to get maybe more people of color recognition? Right. Just saying. Because <laughs> I always feel really guilty when I'm like, oh, I really like this DJ. I'm like, oh, you're another white boy from Europe. Gotcha. Got it. At least one of the DJs I've really gotten into lately is a female. Mm-hmm. So that's something. I'll take it. One lady. One American lady. I'll take it. <laughs> Shit. But yeah, I mean, they have done a lot for house music and I still fucking love their music despite everything. So it is what it is. Yeah. It's all I can do. <laughs> it's the best I can do, guys. I'm sorry. If you are upset, I'm sorry. Upset about what? I don't know. Don't be upset. I don't know. It's okay. It is a, it is a difficult conversation, mm-hmm. to say the least. But at this point, um, you know, don't really know what Daft Punk's really working on besides, like, doing, you know, some collaborations here and there. But 
Um, I'm sure they're probably working on another album and who knows what it'll sound like. It'll probably be completely different from anything they've already made because that's pretty much their MO and I'm fine with that. It all sounds the same to me. <laughs> that's incorrect. <laughs> it does. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that's bad. Right. I'm just saying it sounds the same. That's, that's fair, fine. I guess. I mean, I feel like that with your emo bands. I don't listen to that many emo bands. You do. No. You know more about emo, at least. I know, like, I know a lot about they emo. They all sound the same to me. A lot of them do. And a lot of them are fucking horrible. And I mean, that's why I don't listen to them. I, I mean, listen to like two emo bands and that's it. In my defense, like while I do hear a lot of house music, there are a lot I don't like. I don't like Avicii. I don't like... You know, the chain smokers and shit like that. I'm probably going to get get come for by some house fans like, they're not really house. They're actually like trance, drum bass, this, that. And I'm gonna be like, God damn it. It's really hard to keep everybody straight. Really is, though. It's like metal. Mu- it really welcome is like to, metal music. Welcome to the world of metal. Yep. <sighs> it's hard to keep them straight. Please send all of your corrections to contact us <laughs> at rockcandypodcast.com. Put them in the suggestion box. We will make a corrections episode next week. I don't want to. Well, I mean, I might. <laughs> if you make a compelling enough argument, I will. Yeah. So temptations for you there. There you go. But that's story of Daft Punk up to now. Good job. Who knows what they'll do next? Good job. Maybe balloon robots. I don't know. That would be fun. Right? Robots in hot air balloons? Robot puppies in yes. hot air balloons. I'm fine with we that. we stay up all night to pet puppies. We stay up all night to pet puppies. I'm going to have that stuck in my head for a long time now. Yeah, you are. It's going to be great. It's going to be a good time for you. Anyway, thanks you for listening. Thanks you. Thanks you for listening. Thanks you for listening. I had two beers and I still can't fucking talk. Thanks for listening, everyone. We appreciate Mm. you. Without your love and support, we would just be talking to no one. We'd just be talking to each other and woof. Come on. That sucks. I don't want to talk to her. I don't want to do that anymore. (laughs) Anyway, uh, if you are enjoying what you're hearing, please feel free to drop us a sweet five-star rating and nice review on iTunes. That would be rad as fuck. Really Mm -hmm. appreciate that. And then you can also stop by social media places like Twitter at Rock Candy Pod and Instagram and Facebook at Rock Candy Podcast and talk to us. Be our friend. Whatever. We don't care. No, we do care. We need it. Please be our friend. (laughs) I need it. I don't do drugs, guys. Remember? I just I just get just, high. I just get, get high on, on the acceptance of others. You get high on constant validation. Yup. <laughs> Pisces. That's what we do. Anyway, so tune in next week. Actually, next week we are doing one more episode for the year. It'll be our final 2018 episode. Yeah. It'll be a fun one. It'll be a kind of fly by the seat of our pants, but I think it'll be a good time. It'll be a good time. It'll be a party had by all. Or at least by us. Because we have the beers. We do have the beers. I mean, you might have the beers, too. Oh, my God. You never I never talked about the, the beer. beer. <laughs> I completely did not realize that until oh God, just now. you're still here tonight. We're drinking beer. Tonight. Holy shit. I've never done that before. I know. Wow. What's wrong with us? I don't know. We got so caught up in our introductory conversation, we forgot. That's true. I just really like all the references. Well, here's the thing. If you don't follow us on social media, you you didn't get to see it. But if you do follow us on social media, you've already seen and probably assumed what we were doing an episode on. Because we are drinking Switchback Damp Punk beer. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty good, actually. It's a real good session beer. 
Yeah, it's a hoppy California-style common beer with a lovely honey caramel color. Mm. I mean, that's what I came up with anyway. Yeah, it's purdy. It is purdy. Wow, I can't believe I didn't talk about the beer. And that's the whole reason we're doing this episode was because you found this beer. Well, and I like Daft Punk. Yeah. But you're like, oh shit, this this beer is exists and stuff. We need one more episode before the final episode of the year. Doing Daft it. Punk. Got it. There we go. We got it. Did it. You're welcome. <laughs> well, fuck. Anyway. Can't always be perfect. Yeah. Or ever. It's fine. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking by to hear about the beer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Fuck it. With that, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. Party on, you crazy kids out there. Hi. Bye.